Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Pubs, Pints, People, the camera podcast. Now, you may have already heard some spooky additions to our theme music. That's right, this is a Halloween special. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing the sound effects ourselves now as well. This is, it's all part of the service. Um, so don't be afraid of all the ghoulish puns we're going to unleash, and there will be many. Uh, I can guarantee you that. I, I must admit, I always think it's a bit strange that we make such a big deal of Halloween nowadays, don't we? We're kind of all following the American tradition a bit, aren't we? It's a, kind of the, the biggest thing outside of, of Christmas. But frankly, you know, if it gives an excuse to go up for a beer whilst claiming I'm going out trick-or-treating, then <laughs> who, who am I to argue? You know, the kids can just run around themselves. You know, they'll be, they'll be fine. <laughs> it's uh, like, a, like a kid park outside of the pub where you can just chain your child up and just... Just chill them out. Sort of keep them with a theme, right? Yeah, just give them some sweets. Yeah, it's on it. yeah. I mean, just for clarity, if anyone's listening, we don't endorse that kind of behaviour. We do it to our own children. Just really put that way. <laughs> no, that is not endorsed by camera. Um, so I've just thought I'm actually being a frighteningly bad host this week. I'm afraid um, because I forgot to introduce us all. Uh, so, if, if but if to us, if you're only just joining us now and don't know our names, then where have you been? Where have you been? Sleeping in a coffin, woken up from a dusty slumber. I am, of course, Matt Bundy, and with me are two people who are never a trick and always a treat. Oh. It's Claire and Ant. How are you oh, both? Oh, thank you very much. I've, I've dressed up as a witch, especially for the occasion. <laughs> well, uh, I'm now covered in vomit from that introduction, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and in fact, in fact I, was, I was having technical problems earlier and didn't think I was going to make it to the podcast, or that I'd get here and you two would have both turned into pumpkins. Oh, that's oh. Oh, <laughs> we've got this is this is going to continue throughout the podcast. It doesn't right. get any better, folks. <laughs> but, but we are honouring Halloween and discussing some of the horrors of the drinks world, giving you some tips and tricks on how to recognise the off flavours that you might find in a badly kept beer or cider, and what to do about it. 
Before we do all that, though, let me remind you that it's the tail end of Cider Month. We hope you've taken the opportunity to sample some wonderful ciders after we explored the cider harvest in our last episode. And do let us know what you've enjoyed. You can tweet us or, of course, send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. It's podcast at camera.org.uk. Absolutely. And remember, Camera has partnered with Gabe Cook, author of Modern British Cider, to campaign for changes to cider duty that will support producers and the highest quality real products. And Canva's actually sent a copy of Gabe's book, Modern British Cider, to every MP who has a cider maker in their constituency. Oh. I think it's a fantastic idea. I saw it on Twitter. I was really uh, gave it a like, gave it a support. And, More importantly, and it, did your MP get one? I don't Fit know. For your own cider orchard. Because you're obviously, you're, you're a, you're, you are a prolific cider maker in your constituents. I don't know whether, you know, my cider making prowess has made it into the halls of power. You know, whether uh, the local MP uh, for Birmingham said knows about it. But perhaps I'll send him my copy of the book just in case because uh, to be honest I've read it cover to cover and uh, still are no better at making cider so you know he might as well go to a good cause and convince my MP don't you think <laughs> it's a really interesting cause because obviously it, I think that's a great thing to do sending the votes to the MPs and it's because Cameron believes the changes that are called for in the book and the solution it presents and, and we heard a lot of this didn't we in an interview uh, yeah. in a previous episode you know they're, they're really vital and we want to make sure every MP reads it and joins our cause and the changes are very specific because they want a, a progressive duty system for small cider producers, raising the minimum juice content for cider and clearer ingredient labelling. So there's a lot there for MPs to, to think about and, and hopefully take on board. It totally is, clear, and you can see that in those last two requests, they're all about getting a quality product into the glass, but at the same time as being sensible about the level of duty and taxation that cider and peri producers have to deal with. Uh, now, we need your help, folks, to reach every MP ahead of the budget next week. Email your MP. I know I've already done it. I had the email from camera. It hit the inbox last week. And make sure you do yours. Ask them to support Cider and Perry producers. And make sure you share your thoughts on social media too. Our handle's at Pubs, Pints, People. You can use the app camera underscore official as well. We're all here. Let's rally behind each other and the, and the cause. And as always, there's a link in the show notes to all the campaign to give you lots more information. Yes, and there's some more book news for you all. I mean, the winter nights are closing in, aren't they? We yeah, need something indeed. something to read to get us through. Uh, drum roll, please, I think, for this one. This is a biggie. It is what we've all been waiting for. The World Beer Guide oh, is yeah. now available. Mm. Oh, Woohoo! Yes. There we are. Now, renowned author and beer expert Roger Protz needs no introduction as the man, the legend. Uh, he's written this book and it takes readers on a journey around the world's best beers. It's his latest publication with Camera Books. Obviously, he's written such fantastic uh, work in the past and this is an absolute cracker. We may still have challenges taking trips abroad, but I'm sure that Roger's book will give us all some inspiration and some pleasant dreams of distant lands, I think. Well, that's very poetic. Before we dive into our first interview, though, let me also remind you that there's just about time left for you to cast your votes for the Champion Beer of Britain. This is an episode where we're talking about off flavours and bad storage, but why not take an opportunity to shine a light on some of the best beers that you've had? Nominate one from a deserving brewery for this prestigious award. And if you haven't already done so, surf the interweb to cbob.camera.org.uk. Exercise your democratic voting right. Votes close on the 1st of November. Make sure you don't miss out. 
Cracking. Now, as we said, our interviews today are based around the idea of some of the horrors you can find in your glass from time to time. Beer is a natural product. It can happen. Hey, first, our very own Alex Metcalf, Cameras Learning Discover Manager, is talking to Katie Mather. Katie is a food and drink writer and the owner of the Corto Wine Beer and Cider Bar in Clitheroe. I'm Alex Metcalf, the Learning and Discovery Manager for Camera, helping everyone learn more about their favourite drinks and venues with Camera. I'm really excited today because I'm with Katie Mather, food blogger turned food and drink writer, who's also now a neighbourhood bar owner of Corto, natural wine, beer and cider bar in Clitheroe. Hi Katie, how are you doing? Welcome to the podcast. Hi, uh, yeah, I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Fantastic. And so it's a, a bit of a Halloween-themed episode of Pubs, Pints and People. Um, and along that theme, one of the, the horrors we can come across at any time of year is faults in the beer that we're drinking. And <laughs> we've been working with you on the Learn and Discover platform to develop uh, some really exciting consumer resources, helping people understand beer faults and navigate all the different flavours they're confronted when choosing beers at festivals and bars like your own. I was wondering if you'd just like to introduce the journey and talk us through a little bit about what people have to think about when they're first dealing with this as a novice drinker. Well it's interesting isn't it because the first thing obviously is what do you fancy drinking Um, and that in itself is quite a difficult question if you're a kind of a novice to the beer world. Um, Often people come into the bar or I've heard people when I'm working at festivals uh, they say oh I don't know I usually drink this and they'll name a brand of beer rather than a style of beer which has happened quite a lot in craft beer especially people say oh I like this brewery and they think that that's a style and that happens more than you'd think. Um, So I guess the first thing that people need to consider is is what they like, what flavours they like and what aromas they like. And then after that, you've obviously got the help of your friendly bar person or the person in your local bottle shop to guide you through these styles. Um, But then you've also got something to think about in a pub, which is a fault to deal with. Um, And that is when you've tasted a beer and it's just not quite right, there's something a little bit wrong with it. And when you first start out, maybe you can't tell or maybe you think, oh, I don't really know if that's right or whether it's supposed to taste like that. And my advice going forward, if you're just starting out is do you like it it's a really simple question but if you like the taste fair enough let's carry on and have a good (laughs) evening if you want to take it further then it's absolutely up to you and that's what the resources are for so starting in people's comfort zone, I think one of the things that um, seems like a barrier often to people getting into, whether it's beer, cider or any alcoholic drink, is feeling underconfident and that something's supposed to be mm. like that. One of the fantastic resources you've created with the help of illustrator Lucy Cook for your beginners and enthusiast guide on Learn and Discover for Camera is a flavour wheel. And that talks through the different, whether it's some things a negative or a positive or a good or a bad flavour aroma and starts to lead people towards flavours and aromas they might be familiar with. Yeah, that's right. Um, Working on this flavour wheel was something that I really enjoyed doing. Lucy is such a fantastic illustrator. She really got to the heart of what I was trying to visualise, but kind of failing. I'm not a very visual person. Um, I work with words. So my sketches initially were extremely confusing. Uh, What she's managed to put together is something that's quite easy to follow. It shows the good and the bad, and it shows that some flavours do cross over that line as well, depending on the style. But hopefully it's quite easy to follow 
absolutely a very intuitive for listeners you can access that through uh, www.camera.org.uk forward slash learn hyphen discover um, and navigate to the basics and you'll find the uh, introduction to beer faults by katie mather one of the topics we both touched on really is that certain styles can express some aromatics that are quite challenging but they're not wrong a part mm. of the journey in figuring out what's wrong is as you say figuring out what people like and going in that direction that's right. So in some beers, you might expect to smell something like fruity esters, which come from a type of yeast that's used within the brewing process. Or you might expect banana or cloves from certain styles of beer, like a heavy bison, for example. But in some beers, that's completely unwelcome. And that would denote a fault um, in the brewing process or in the serving of that beer. And so really, it's kind of learn as you go kind of scenario, which is great beer because that basically means go out and drink some beer and learn and see what you enjoy and then after that you become more confident in denoting what is a fault and what is part of that style all of this is as you've said in your beginner's guide is thinking about what you're drinking and building up your skills as you go so you can engage with a wider range of drinks as you build your repertoire of what you like and what you're not so keen on that's uh, it like, I, I love the idea of it being a repertoire it's a skill and i think that's a good way of looking at it as well because the more you drink these beers the more you sample and a good place to do that is at festivals or if you go to a bar you will within your right to just ask can i just have a little try of that one i'm not really sure that's how you learn that's how you get this library of uh, kind of styles and flavors and aromas within your brain that you can then hark back to when you drink another beer at a later date and go oh I remember that from this and I actually really enjoyed it in that beer so this must be a similar style and that's kind of that's just how we all do it just through drinking anybody whether they're just out drinking they're a younger person or they're an older person and if they're a bit underconfident and you ask them what they think they'll stumble and think that whatever they're about to say isn't going to be good enough it's going to be accurate but it's based on them and their own experiences and many of the flavors that you reference in the flavor wheel are all based on things that many people have come across in their everyday life yeah, I've tried to use terms and sort of references that most people might be familiar with. So I've got in the bad category, I've got things like ketchup. I've used the word stinky mustiness in place of skunkiness, which is often found in a lot of beer tasting literature, just because I've never actually smelled a skunk before. And I think a lot of people also see the word skunk and they think of sort of like a hemp marijuana kind of smell. And it isn't that at all. That's a completely different aroma that comes from hops because they're in the same family yes. uh, of plants whereas skunkiness within a lot of beer terminology is actually skunks like the smell of skunks and i just have never come across one before it's not in our frame of reference is it exactly so there's a lot of that so i've tried to kind of think what can people easily reference within things that they've smelt before and how can they apply that and tasting and experiencing things is very personal and when someone says oh i don't want to describe that to me when they're tasting a beer i feel a little bit uh, i don't know a bit sad because i want you to tell me exactly where this is taking you um, because you're not wrong if that's what you think then that's your personal taste that's your personal frame of reference and I think that's the amazing thing about drinking beer is it takes you not only do I enjoy this beer am I having you know a lovely pint right now is it actually making you think of something else is it making you imagine different things can you see the different ingredients within it and I think that's the fantastic thing about tasting that's what I love about it 
absolutely. One of the conversations that we had in developing the guides that you have created for Learn and Discover, a long-standing ambition for the campaign, educating consumers, wanting to empower people to have the best possible time they can around beer. And that was one of the key points that we wanted to achieve through the guide. Towards the end of the beginner's guide, you really kindly put together a brief step-by-step guide about how you can approach bar staff or taproom staff about the fault that you've identified in the beer and we've got a few steps here i think that the first thing is people don't want to take a beer back because they feel like they're probably wrong and i think that the first point be specific kind of helps with that um because i've put if you can try and be as specific as possible to show you're really finding a fault and not just making a general complaint um because i think that quite a lot of the time if you say i think there's a problem with this beer a pub owner who's very proud of their pub and the beer that they sell will take that personally, whether you intended to do that or not. So if you're specific and say, I think that there's a touch of diacetyl in this beer, or if you're not, you know, as clued upon the technical terms as that, just say, I think this beer is tasting a bit funny, and then say what you can taste or smell that you think might not be relevant to that style. They'll appreciate that you've given it a bit of thought. You're not just saying, I don't like this. It's just better to be specific than you're kind of like, I'm on your side, I don't want you to serve this to anyone else if it's wrong the second one be polite i mean it's quite obvious isn't it really there's no need to be rude you just want to come across as someone who's understanding and then de-escalate any situation as well as i say but don't feel like you can't make a complaint that's you know the main thing the third point i've said was offer a solution basically asking for a a swap with a like for like beer is probably the fairest way of doing this Mm. um if your beer is off you can't be expected to drink that, particularly with some faults that might make you upset your stomach or something. It's the easiest solution. You're not trying to, you know, upsell something yourself. You're not trying to do them out of money. You're just looking to stay a bit longer mm-hmm. and you don't want to dump your pint out and leave. No. My other option here, which kind of isn't in the article, but um, I have in the past, if the person isn't willing to do a like for like swap, I've just given the pipe back and said well please can I have a drink of water then instead and you can just take this because knowing that I am unwilling to drink that beer and I'm happy to just give it back prompted them to be like look it's all right you can have a half of this instead or whatever and it just shows that you're not just trying to game them you're actually being serious it's underscoring your sincerity isn't it as a a customer yeah exactly Don't back down is my other thing. So I've put, it's so tempting to apologise and back down if you're told there's nothing wrong with your beer. And I understand that entirely. I mean, I'm uh, not a a particularly confident person. Uh, And sometimes as a a lone woman in a pub, I might not want to go back to the bar and say, this is not right. If I feel like I'm not going to be taken seriously. But if you don't want to drink it, then you shouldn't. Just ask them to pour it away. The main thing is just to to kind of underscore the fact that you're being polite and you're not trying to get a free pint. And then don't feel bad if you get knocked back because it does happen. Unfortunately, there are, you know, not many, but there are some pub owners out there who are, you know, under a lot of pressure or maybe they just don't care a lot about the cleanliness of their lines or this quality of the beer that they're selling. And they just won't care if the beer is faulty or not. And in that case, if you're not listened to and you feel uncomfortable or you're made to feel uncomfortable about a faulty beer, then just leave. Because there's plenty of other places that are amazing that serve incredible beer that's delicious, served properly, sourced from brilliant breweries that can well do with your money more. Fingers crossed, touch wood. 
that's never really happened to me, but I have heard tell of it happening. So if it happens to you, that's my best advice. Just vote with your feet. There we are. I mean, I was really interested by that. I thought I was a real cracker. And let, let me just point out that Katie has written a brilliant article, actually, on the Learn and Discover section of the camera website. You can find the link in the podcast notes. Uh, and I recommend you all give it a read because it's a really useful, it's got a really useful flavour wheel that Katie has put together with illustrator Lucy Cook. And I love it. I think it's a great way to guide you through a beer tasting and as well as setting you up with kind of what I call a sensory vocabulary Ooh, yeah. you know, that helps you recognise and explain any off flavours you might encounter as well as any great ones. Yeah, and what I really loved about that interview is because I, I know people that are worried about complaining about a bad pint. You go up to the bar and you say, this beer is not right, or was this the last one out of the barrel or, or whatever? And they look at you as if to say, yeah, and what do you know about it? Yeah. Um, and that could be gender-based, it could be just because you might look too too old or too young or whatever the the bar person thinks you know you don't know what you're talking about so I thought you know there were some really good points in that interview and I know that sometimes there are pub staff who, who don't know or possibly even don't care about keeping the beer well but there are also occasions when something is wrong by accident and I think you do need to give the staff the opportunity to put it right if if you think it's wrong and that's a point that, that Katie made really well in that interview. I completely agree Claire and I wonder what your opinion is. Do you send a pint back if it's bad in the pub? Yeah, I do, yeah. yeah. I don't. I, I, I am very English about this kind of thing. I will pretty much put up with it and kind of go through it because uh, I don't want to make a, make a scene. But uh, I, I don't make I a make scene, but... I tell. I, <laughs> just, this is horrendous. She turns over the table, sprays <laughs> the glass. <laughs> but, you know, I do... I do kind of say um i don't think this is right and yeah. uh, and and usually there'll be someone who's who, who'll be with me on sort of mutter you know well she does know what she's talking about you know she's in yeah. camera <laughs> she's she, she's a co-host of the camera podcast so like, oh I, I i like to just kind of casually open my phone and i'm like i was just listening to the camera podcast oh with oh, me oh, is that- <laughs> i just couldn't help but notice that this beer was on yeah and and i'm i'm with you claire if i have a bad pine i don't see any problem with sending it back you know bit Real ale is a product that isn't designed to last for very long in comparison to something like a, a fizzy lager. So I don't see any point in in drinking something you're not completely happy with. And yeah, some staff care about it, some don't know about it. And I mean, ultimately, you don't ask, you don't get, do you? Yeah, that's, that's right. And, um, you know, I think usually, most of my experience, they've been only too happy to put it right. Or they've said, oh, yes, this happened or, you know, we are coming to the end of the barrel or I've just changed the barrel or whatever they're doing. And, um, yeah, you know, they they completely accept that that pint probably was just one too many out of that barrel. Yeah, I think you should be brave in the future, Matt, because I'm with Claire. I've never, well, let's put it this way. I've never had a refusal to swap my pint out if I've complained about it. Unless you've had three quarters of it. Unless left you've left, left a sip yeah, left. Yeah. And oh, just oh, got this is a great pint. Can I have something <laughs> different? <laughs> Keep trading. But that obviously, you know, the irony is, of course, that you often remember good customer service, don't you? You really remember that if it's gone wrong. So it's the same in, in terms of the beer. So if it's been put right, it's great. I totally agree that we should be thinking more about the flavours of the glass. That is right, Anne. Now, talking of pubs, it's now time for our We're Only Here for the Beer section. Mm. Perhaps a Halloween theme, is it Only Here for the Fear? fear? Oh, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, beer like for it. the Fear? There's something no, there? I th- I think we're only. Fears. <laughs> <laughs> 
let's stick at least with the Halloween theme with the pubs that we're going to choose. Let's try to have some kind of spooky reference, a haunted pub. What have we got, guys? Oh, well, I'll tell you what. One immediately springs to mind, and uh, this one, without going into too much detail, was a pub I visited during my stag do. I'm not going to tell you what I did on the stag do, but I'll tell you about this pub. And I remember it vividly because it's up in Liverpool, which is obviously where we have the stag, but it's called Ye Hole in Ye Wall. And some of the uh, listeners will know will be very familiar with this pub. It's a really old one. In fact, it's Liverpool's, uh, or rather one of Liverpool's oldest public houses. It was was dates dates back to the sort of early 1700s. Built on an old Quaker burial site, interestingly. So of course it boasts all of the ghouls and ghosts and spooks. But the um, the fable goes that one of the uh, in the 18th century. A Spanish sailor was supposedly stabbed in the pub for not taking the king's shilling, and uh, and he's supposed to be walking around there nowadays, just sort of moping about and feeling pretty bad about himself. But yeah, ye old uh, ye hole in ye wall, sorry, is the name of the pub. Really great place, lovely building, and uh, yeah, you should go if you're in for a fright. I'm going to a pub that uh, I have visited in the past, although not recently. I think uh, it's it's kind of under a new brewery's hands now, um, or not a new brewery, McMullen's Brewery from Hertfordshire. But um, it wasn't a McMullen's pub when, when I visited it, but it's in London. Um, it's kind of the top end of Fleet Street, and it's called the Old Bank of England. And... It's, I don't know if it is actually haunted, but it's situated between where uh, Sweeney Todd's Barbershop used yeah, to be Bruce. and um, Mrs Lovett's Pie Shop. And I, I think probably most people will know um, that if you went into Mr Todd's Barbershop, you ended up in Mrs Lovett's Pie Shop. Well, not just in the pie shop, in the, in the actual in the, pies. In the pies. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And apparently there are all sorts of tunnels and vaults be- be- below the sort of main part of the building now and that's where the victims were butchered and uh, cooked up and whatever else happened to them but I was reading an interesting article about this pub because I certainly I've been there and I I've never noticed anything spooky or weird happening but um, there was an article on thedrinksbusiness.com where they did go to this pub and they went into the vaults and apparently it was really hot outside freezing cold when they went into this one part of the vaults they felt a chill in their bones this wasn't somebody who gets spooked easily but that was very very strange so don't go there on halloween perhaps or maybe do go there on halloween well yeah yeah what about you matt what have you got up your spooky sleeve I went on the camera site and found a very helpful article about the most haunted pubs in the UK. And and the one that took uh, my eye the most was called the Devil's Stone Inn in Devon. Uh, it says it's taking its name from an ancient local tradition where villagers turn over the nearby Devil's Stone to ward off evil spirits. And apparently it's a 17th century former farmhouse said to be one of the most haunted in Britain. Wow. And it's conveniently wow. on the way to uh, my usual place where I go on holiday. So I should pop <laughs> in for a quick haunting on the way down. A quick haunting. <laughs> there have been some great articles about haunted pubs around the country and some fantastic stories. I remember reading uh, another pub where the, the ghost plays the piano at night or something so uh, lots of spooky goings on if you if you search for haunted pubs you'll you'll find more than the ones we've just mentioned but for our second interview we're focusing on cider and it's great that we're seeing a bigger selection of ciders and, and perries in pubs there's definitely a learning curve that bar staff have to get through though to understand how best to keep the ciders for example there's the age-old misconception that the bag in the box cider will keep forever in a pub but that's not the case and to explain some of the issues Susanna Mansfield talking to Emma Jordan, who's the co-founder of Blue Barrel Cider. 
I'm Emma Jordan, cider maker and co-founder of Blue Barrel Cider. I'll be chatting today to cider pommelier Susanna Mansfield, landlady of the Station House pub and Fram Ferment bottle shop in Durham, and her cat. <laughs> as, we cre- as we creep towards the spooky happenings of Halloween, we're going to be delving into some horror stories of the drinks world and how to avoid them. Now, unless you've been living under a rock the last few weeks, you will have likely come across Gabe Cook's latest book, Modern British Cider, in which he talks of this being the most exciting time in 400 years for the cider maker. So, why is it that for some drinkers, cider conjures up frightful memories? Welcome, Susanna. Hello. I bet as a bar manager, you've come across some pretty bad horror stories for beer and cider. Tell me about the worst. Well, the worst was actually not in in my own pubs, I'm I'm pleased to say. Um, It was before I kind of really got uh, a bit of knowledge about cider. Um, And there was a a beer festival I was um, working at. And at the end of the the night, as uh, lots of people will know, you uh, inevitably sit down with a drink. Um, And that particular year was very, very cold. So we'd gone and claimed the the hospitality cabin with a a friend of ours who happened to be managing the cider bar. And he uh, got sent out to get a box of cider from the bar so that we didn't have to (laughs) keep keep going out into the cold. And he came back with what I now, looking back, think probably had every fault in the book because it was absolutely foul and undrinkable and, you know, everyone's worst nightmare uh, in cider and unfortunately what a lot of people think of when they think of cider, I think. And then, of course, you've got the storage issues. You've got this perception has been for a long time that bag-in-box cider keeps forever in pubs. And so they'll, they'll store them for ages in warm places. They'll uh, serve them from on top of the warm fridge behind the bar and they'll be, you know, could, could be there for months on end in that situation, just slowly cooking. And you, you're just ending up with the potential for a whole load of faults. But... It is changing. This is, we've got to got to remember the positives here because people are getting more interested in it, and all of the bars that are proud of their real ale, quite rightly, are just starting now. I think to to realise that they need to take the same pride in their cider. So, as a bar manager, what do you what would you do to avoid um, serving up cider with um, with faults? The first thing I would say is that just like with the beer, we've got to be tasting it. We've got to know the faults ourselves and we've got to be tasting it. And if I if I would take um, a drink back to a bar in someone else's pub, then it will not go over the bar in mine, is my rule. Because we, as far as I'm concerned, the quality control shouldn't be being done by the customers. It should be d- done by the staff, the people running the cellar. On top of that, then, you've got storage. So we now... Um, store all of our ciders in uh, cold rooms at cellar temperature Um, we don't buy in as much bulk as we used to which helps as well so keeping the turnover a little bit higher because it will keep for a very long time if it's stored right and especially if it's a good dry cider or it's been you know very carefully pasteurized or um, sterile filtered you can keep it for a reasonable length of time but you are leaving yourself open for problems if you're storing it warm yeah, yeah, we've often found that we've turned up at a pub 
when we've sold them some cider months and months and months ago and then we found that there's a box of our cider sitting on top of a fridge uh, that we're like you're not still serving that are you <laughs> i think maybe uh, we'll look into kind of how we can kind of we need some more dialogue maybe between the cider maker and and also the retailers about how um, and some education about how to serve cider once you sell it to them as well perhaps like some golden rules of what to do yeah I mean I guess part of the difficulty is that people do like serving their cider in slightly different ways and they do like it at different temperatures I have no problem with people wanting to put some ice in to cool it down a bit further for example Um, some of the keg ciders I I put through a remote chiller so they're they're served a few degrees cooler than cellar temperature as well so you have to be aware that everyone likes it differently which I think is the problem with just having rules uh, but certainly the training in terms of uh, educating people about faults uh, both customers and bar staff yeah and it makes me I mean it makes me sort of feel a bit sad that people are having experiencing these sort of ciders out in the public because in my opinion uh, the main kind of uh, it's really down to the the main things down to the cider maker um, I've I've you know, a lot of anyone could make apple juice and ferment it to cider. But I think the real skill is creating a quality product. It's sort of like a fine art. You know, there's many pitfalls, but it really is up to us as a cider maker to ensure that quality, clean product goes out to public. And then obviously it's then up to the retailers to educate staff by not only serving it correctly, but educating customers that perhaps a full tannic bone dry cider is supposed to taste that way and not like a strawberry and mango lilies for instance <laughs> yeah it's get- there's a huge diversity of formats now that there didn't used to be yeah um, or at least that was easily accessible so when we started the pub the only good cider you could get was bib cider and now we've got really good keg cider available from the likes of nightingale and ross and y and we've got all these fabulous bottles of cider that, that look great on the shelf and i know that there is a debate about whether this is a good thing for the industry or not but certainly from my perspective i see people looking at these displays of bottles that i've got in the shop going oh is that wine no that's cider oh cider comes like that and then you could just see the cogs whirring in their head and they as they reassess what cider can be well exactly like we you can get a very different dry cider can't you from eastern county style to the sort of west country you know it's going to be very different depending on the apple varieties used so now we've got the nights drawing in and we've got that sort of wintry vibe going and halloweens and bonfires nights around the corner what kind of cider do you recommend for your customers on these occasions well it's a bit drink out tonight uh, today it's a bit autumnal and windy and wet and I've made venison sausages and roast veg for lunch and I'm really thinking I want something bittersweet apples fermented to dryness maybe aged in a whiskey cask or something for that real by the fireside feeling oh lovely can you can you name a producer or favorite uh, well, Ross and Wire, as many people will know, I'm a massive fan of Ross and Wire. They, they do some good examples. Obviously, Raison d'Etre is their flagship, which, which would do very nicely. But uh, Tom Oliver does some good stuff as well. There's a really nice Yarlington Mill that he brought out. It's 2019 vintage, but that's still available in places. So that would be really nice. Um, I reckon the Yarlington Mill is a, the perfect uh, sort of apple um, or cider sort of for those winter long nights really so rich and sort of uh, got so much depth and just it's beautiful so much depth, a nice yes. fruity and spicy note as well 
as you know, we, we adore Yarlington Mill to the point that we did a collaboration with Ross recently that we've uh, relatively recently released, which is so was supposed to be a blend and ended up as a single variety Yarlington Mill because we just love it so much. Oh, wow. So what's the name of this uh, cider and where can we get it? It's just called the Durham Blend um, and it is... Apologies for, for treating this as advertising, but it is only available from Ross and Wye and from uh, ourselves at Framford Mental Station House. Ah, cool. I'll have to pop down so I can try it. That sounds great. So with Christmas only eight weeks around the corner, sorry to drop that on everyone, but um, what, would you, what would be your celebration cider? I think Sparkling Perry has a, a huge amount to offer. And you could go really fancy, frankly. You could go full champagne method such as uh, Greg's Pit Thorn is always a favourite for me Christmas and celebrations um, you get proper pop and a good moosey moosey sparkling perry even in your glass and it just oh, it, it really hits the spot for me it's got loads of sort of elegant light sort of dances on your tongue in a way oh totally I have to say I'm a big fan of fawn um I just love the sort of floral elderflower notes that a lot of fawn perries have it's they're really beautiful I I always describe it as Sauvignon Blanc on steroids (laughs) I love it that's great (laughs) well I have to check out the Greg's Pit one because I've not tried it yet yeah if you can hunt some of that down it is beautiful well, thanks so much. Basically, we've been talking about the range of cider and perries we've had from bold and tannic chewy ciders to light floral sparkling perries and everything in between. And it really does show, to coin a phrase, there's a cider for everyone. Thank you so much for joining us, Susanna. And I uh, really look forward to seeing your next video on the camera, Learn and Discover Zone. Excellent. Thank you very much. You know, I think we saw exactly the same thing happen as cask beer became more and more popular, didn't we? And also, when you have people who open micropubs and need to get to grips with caring for a living product for the first time, I mean, it really is, I think, about education. And I totally agree, the bar staff have to be willing to sample the product. Now, that sounds, oh, sampling the product. But, but honestly, if they know what it's supposed to taste like, then that will help if somebody like me or Claire, who are about to kick off at the bar because we've been served a dodgy beer or, or cider could say you know we we don't think it's right and if they know what they're looking for then they can either agree or disagree but the point is education will certainly help here yeah i've got to say i've seen some cider being stored and served in 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 not a way that that i would like you see i've seen bags in in box ciders you know when you get those bags in a box stuck on the top of fridges just kind of sitting there being a bit warm and tired and to be to be fair there there are some Many, many incredible pubs that take all the effort to stock ciders and perries, store them in the right way. Um, but I think there is a real need sometimes to understand where and how to keep them so that they stay at their best. And that is cellar conditions, just like real ale. Mm. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll see the producers playing their part too, because there does need to be training, tasting notes with the ciders so that staff understand what to expect. But I do agree with the idea that it shouldn't need to be the customer who's the responsible, who's responsible for quality control. You know, bar staff should have an idea of, of what it is that they're serving. Yeah, yeah, I agree with both of you completely. 
Now, let's take a moonwalk through the archives, and this week we've got an article from October 1986. Now, that's the same year, if you're thinking, well, what do I know about that year, that the Challenger space shuttle sadly blew up, and the year of the Chernobyl nuclear accident. We have an example of a beer that was formulated to be aged like a wine, Thomas Hardy's Ale. Yes, apparently the back label discouraged people from trying the beer for five years. Oh. Kind of said the bit of a rule for the drinkers there. I quite like that, setting rules for the drinkers. You're, you're allowed to buy it, but way beside you if you drink it within five years. Because it, it had the promise on it that it would last at least 25 years. Mm. And, and it turns out it's affected a lot by the type of closure. So they compared a five-year-old beer with a cork to a classic kind of crown top nip bottle from the same year. And and it's no surprise that corks went out. Yeah, I suppose it's a bit like uh, French wine producers resisted the move to screw top closure on bottles rather than corks because they didn't think that wine would age properly. And maybe that is confirmed in, in beer too, although it does uh, open up some interesting ideas for aged beers it could add a whole new dimension of flavors i've actually got three bottles of beer not that they're designed to be not drunk for years but they i just didn't ever want to open them i've got a green king reunion ale which was brewed in 1998 and it was uh, it was to celebrate ipswich town beating arsenal um in the <laughs> fa cup a in long time ago didn't they? yeah <laughs> yeah in, in 1978 and then 20 years later for the 20th anniversary they brewed this beer and i've still got the bottle it's unopened and i do wonder whether whether I should one day try. I've got several like this, actually, but um, I'm not sure I've got the confidence to open them and drink them now. <laughs> you know, they're over Live 20 years old. Claire yeah. Phillips cracking open some really old booze. You know, <laughs> but it, but uh, I mean, the article does reference that 1970 bottle of uh, Chimay that was monitored for more than 10 years in a lab at Artois. Uh, and there were some complex reactions that produced port-like flavours in the beer. I like the idea of port-like flavours, but it's a heck of a long time to wait, isn't it? I mean, I think I think you need a bit more willpower than I've got to do that experiment. I'd rather the person selling it to me just keeps it under wraps for five years, and then when I pop in, go, Aunt, I've got something for you. It's already five years old. That makes more sense. Yeah, and, I, it, um, would, it, it would not last on my shelf. I I cannot store beer for love and money because it just it just. I can't help myself. It has to be drunk. <laughs> I've got three or four treasured bottles that I've never opened um, that, that are significant or one-offs or whatever for some reason. I suppose I thought they'd probably be worth a load of money, which I, I'm sure they're not. But yeah, and now I think, is that a waste of beer? Should I have just opened them and drunk them and kept the empty bottle, which should have probably looked just as good? I don't know. But uh, talking of beers, bottled or otherwise, I guess it's time for, for last orders. And um, have you been drinking anything spooky this week? Well, I wouldn't say spooky, although the label is quite spooky, because my beer of the week this week comes from Robinson's. Now, I know what you're thinking, listeners, is going to say Trooper. I'm not going for Trooper this week. I'm actually going for Light Brigade. And funnily enough, I'm pretty sure, although it's quite a hazy memory now, but when I went to that Yee Holding You All in Liverpool, that I drank Light Brigade. It's a wonderful beer. I've rather have you had it before. I don't think I have had that have. one, no. Yeah, it's really, really I have. It's uh, in the rock bars in London, is, uh, where I've seen it stored before. Uh, stored before. It's uh, the, the, the labelling on it's beautiful. Yeah, well, the good thing about the beer as well is that um, it was brewed with a Help for Heroes uh, campaign attached to it. So, so it was, you know, proceeds went towards Help for Heroes. Massive, massive thing uh, at the time. But yeah, Light Brigade is, be- is my beer choice of the week and I can't help myself but... 
be drawn into those Robinsons pump clips like Brigade Trooper, all of them. I think they're so pretty and so inviting. Uh, but of course, very spooky for Halloween. What about you, Matt? I like that, but I think I can outspook you. Uh, on this one i've been scouring my collection for some halloween themed beers and with an honorable mention to one i don't own which is called four hop men of the apocalypse <laughs> ipa from totally brewed that deserves just a, a mention in itself uh, i'm going to choose the uh, the necessary evil stout uh, it's made by thornbridge uh, and it is delicious as it is terrifying I, I, I like the sound of that. Well, I, I went to the pub last night and uh, in honour of the podcast today, I had a pint of Adnam's Ghost Ship. There so, we are, it was there. It was hiding in plain sight, the Halloween theme beer. I knew yeah. it, Ghost Ship, brilliant. <laughs> and uh, and if you haven't seen the, the video that they that Adnam's did um, when they, I think, relaunched it, um, probably about 10 years ago now, just go on YouTube and for a spooky video, watch the relaunch of, of the Ghost Ship video. It's, it's fantastic, all filmed with lights and things on the, on the brewery and sound world so well worth a watch but that's that's it for us for this week isn't it um with our spooky beers by by the time we're back the clocks will have gone back it'll be dark and uh we'll be looking at the pub of the future amongst other things and asking what pubs are doing right now to reflect the society that they serve and are they getting it right so what could they or should they be doing to provide a welcoming environment for everyone and perhaps ahead of that you'd like to get in touch and tell us what you think about pubs what they could do for the future yeah, absolutely. Remember all those Twitter handles that we use? You know how to get in touch with us now, folks. But until then, have a wonderful Halloween. Don't have too much of that Halloween sweeties. I know that I'll be a nightmare for it. The kids have got to stash it away from me because I just love a swizzles, Matt Low Lolly. But until then, enjoy, chin chin, and we'll see you soon. Cheers! Cheers! <laughs> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 52 is actually the biggest beer club in the world. Each month, they send their members a case of beer from a different part of the world, and this month it's an absolute belter. Their great European road trip case takes in the best beers from across the continent. So try a crisp, refreshing Pilsner from Norway's Lervig Brewery and a monster 7.5 double IPA from Sweden's Derges Brewery. On the dark side this month, there's a smooth stout from Copenhagen's Tool. There's also beer from Croatia... 
Poland, Germany, Serbia and Austria, among others. And if dark beer's not your thing, you can choose the light-only case. Also included is the ever-insightful Ferment magazine and a couple of tasty snacks. And even if, after all that, you're still unsatisfied, you can simply pause or cancel at any time. So head over to www.beer52, that's the numbers 5 and 2, dot com forward slash people to claim your free case of 10 beers now. <laughs> 